0: Hey, Carrie, Carrie. can you hear me now? Hello, you there? Yep.
1: Can you hear me? I can't hear you. Hmm.
0: Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hmm. Hmm. What's wrong with your computer, dude? What's wrong with with your computer?
1: I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff.
2: How come you have not been baptized? When you use words like epistemology, soteriology, and
1: postmodernism, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is Theology Down Low, theology for the common man. And woman.
0: Okay, so you know the name of this podcast is called Theology Down Low. Okay. Which means that I I don't have to interview the smartest people in the world. You know, I want to talk about big questions with common people.
1: Are you saying you're not interviewing the smartest people in the world? Yeah. As in, you don't think that I'm very smart?
0: Well, I just think it's appropriate that I start this podcast with you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm gonna so, spin that
1: into the biggest compliment somehow.
0: That was it. Was a, thank you. Yeah. I'm so average, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie. How would you introduce yourself to somebody?
1: Depends on who I'm introducing it to, I suppose. If it's a, uh, you know, you're meeting your your lady's parents for the first time, you're gonna speak differently about yourself than if you're meeting a, a Nate Carden.
0: True. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your lady's parents if you were meeting them for the first time?
1: I'd probably not try to talk very much at all. probably just say, "Hey, I'm Carrie and then avoid the job question entirely because they seem to really like
0: that one and I don't know if they keep coming back to it though that's tough to avoid
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, I'm an entrepreneur of many sorts <laughs> <laughs> I do some modeling and some singing and I run some charities and yeah, it's a.
0: I don't oh, know how you really. say that one.
1: Or you I didn't go to college.
0: You didn't go to college.
1: I did not go to college. Oh, I, I, it's not true. I went for a semester back in Oregon, and then uh
0: Yeah, let's uh, start there. You're yeah. you're from Oregon, right?
1: I'm originally from Oregon. Where? I'm from Beaverton, Oregon.
0: Beaverton. How big is that?
1: Uh, Beaverton is big. It's where Nike, Intel, bunch of big companies are out of there. Hmm. Mhm.
0: Did you grow up in a religious family?
1: A religious family. I would say I grew up in a, a household of believers, more or less.
0: Were you religious growing up?
1: Mm, I went to church. Mm, so later, high school, I started going to church, just because uh, my parents made me.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't like it, though. No way.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: The youth group wasn't fun.
1: I mean, it was it was kind of fun. Like all my friends from school were there because their parents made them go as well. And um, they all just, just goofed like, off. The back and kind of goofed off, and and uh, the the worship band was kind of like a rock band, so that was pretty cool. Lots of sh- bright lights and performances,
0: fireworks and stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, it was like a Taylor Swift concert.
0: <laughs> what? How would you def- define religion?
1: How would I find religion I suppose anything if you worship anything I suppose you have yourself a religion and practice it whether it's a job or a god or a hobby
0: what does it mean to worship
1: to worship would be just to, to praise it
0: I guess want it really badly or something
1: um I don't know what wanting it really badly because I don't know that I, I want a new mountain bike, but I don't know that I would worship it <laughs> Like uh, maybe a, something greater than yourself, I would say like I guess you could worship a celebrity yeah mm, I guess uh hmm. I guess uh I don't know some any any idol of any walk in life, I suppose you could worship an idol.
0: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. when you were in high school, what did you what did you want to do with your life? Where did you see your life going?
1: Uh, high school it was all baseball. I had sports year round. Didn't really have much social life, so I was just I was either on the ball field practicing or in the, the weight room lifting weights. And my off time, I was watching you know tapes of other players and other games, whoever my opponent coming up was.
0: Did You focus on baseball.
1: Uh, It wasn't until later high school that I I decided baseball was it. Um, But I I played football, baseball, I wrestled. Um, Football early on was my favorite, although I was the worst at it. I don't know why, but I was just terrible. I was just a fullback meathead. Uh, I hated wrestling. I was probably the best at wrestling.
0: What would you hate about it? Man, it's so hard. It is Cutting weight and all that?
1: Cutting weight, not even that, but just like a wrestling match. You know, you go through one round of a wrestling match, and I think that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life.
0: Hmm. So you you thought that baseball was going to take you for the rest of your life? You're going to play in the big leagues, and
1: that's that was the dream.
0: It's kind of yeah. like playing football at Alabama for people that grow up in Tuscaloosa, I guess, huh? Oh yeah. Who'd you want to play for?
1: Um, I'm a big Mariners fan, but I didn't ever want to play for the Mariners. Uh, really, I just wanted to play. I wasn't too picky. I didn't see myself as the best player of all time, so if I can get a contract, I was going to sign it.
0: So you got an offer to go where?
1: I never got an offer.
0: <laughs> What'd you do?
1: I, I played Uh, my senior year. I ended up with some knee surgeries from wrestling, and I was a catcher in baseball. So once you start getting knee surgeries, people start writing you off. And, uh, but I went on to play uh, some JC Woodbat League uh, back in Oregon. I played that for a semester and uh, tore my knee again. And at that point, I realized, you know, it's,
0: it's probably what is what is JC Woodbat?
1: Uh, JC is like a discount knowledge at the junior college. Gotcha. A uh, Woodbat League, it's you go to these leagues to pretty much bypass, you know, the the D one divisions and you're just trying to get scouted, so you go, You show up to school and you show up to your classes, but all your classes are kind of a, a joke, more or less. You have, like, freshman intro to baseball, PE, which is baseball, and then you have to take a math class. You usually take the cheapest or easiest math class you can, math 101 or whatever. You count
0: baseball bats.
1: You count baseball bats. So if you have five bats and you break two of them, <laughs> how
0: good do you have that? <laughs> so is a higher-level competition than D1?
1: I wouldn't say that. It's a a two-year school, so you you pretty much, you know, you're only there as long as it takes for you to get signed onto a farm team. Um, Obviously, you know, four guys from each team get picked up every year, maybe on a good team, and then uh, next year you have a new group of guys you work with, and and, uh, it's just a, a high percentage of guys who didn't excel at school and only wanted to focus on baseball in life went to these schools, and you skip the metal bats and you go straight into wood bats and, you, and it's just uh yeah it's it's a rough rough ball game
0: prepare for the big leagues huh exactly did you are you still close friends with anybody you you played there with
1: oh uh, no all the guys i grew up playing with went went on uh went to separate schools in the same league i went to clackamas uh a buddy i caught for my whole life who's actually he's in the farms right now he's he's in Chattanooga I think they're the farm team from Minnesota but he he got to see his first big league time on the mound uh got a couple of a couple of outs and then they sat him back down sent him back down because he was just filling in on some of the DL spots and then uh yeah uh not not, not too much like I said before I'm, my life was just baseball and, and myself making it. it wasn't so much about know friends and keeping up with friends you weren't really there to make friends it happened but it wasn't the purpose of life
0: so instead of getting scouted for baseball you got scouted for modeling
1: that's true so when i was when i was in high school my uh my sister wanted to be a model and uh just through you know dropping her off at the agency they kind of inquired about me and at the time i was like and the first time they reached out to me they're like so you should model, and I was like, mm, probably not. Don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> in
0: Beaverton, or where?
1: This is in Beaverton. Well, this is Portland, actually, um, where the agency was. But uh, after uh, you know the knee surgeries and whatnot, they were still coming at me. So I finally was like, okay, well, let's talk about this a little more. And uh, they uh, said, well, I think we got to come in here, take some pictures, and I didn't have any money. I was a college baseball player, hardly that. And so they were like, well, okay, well, we're not going to try and push all these paid tests, which are all scammed, by the way. If anyone's listening to this that wants to be a model, don't pay for a photo shoot. Anyways, so then they, they're like, well, we need you to go out to New York and meet this agency. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm not going to fly out to New York for no reason. So they booked me on a photo shoot with uh, Bruce Weber for Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, and I shot that. I was still at school at that point uh, playing ball, which was funny because my. My baseball team—that half the team—ran an Abercrombie store, so one of the the players was a manager, and the rest of us just kind of ran the floor, and we just kind of joked around on walkie-talkies all day. But while I was while I was working there, my posters for the store came up, and so I was like working at the store while my giant pictures of me were all over the place.
0: Did you get free Abercrombie and Fitch clothes?
1: Uh, yeah, they give you like a pair of jeans and everything that you wore during the photo shoot. <laughs>
0: Abercrombie and Fitch. Mm-hmm. That, Dude, that, first that dates job. you a little bit.
1: That dates me a little bit. It was still cool back then, I think.
0: I guess so. How old were you then?
1: Mm, I reckon I just turned eighteen.
0: Bang. So what do you mean? What did you mean by don't pay for a photo shoot?
1: Well, there's these like, there's like a whole industry of like how to make money off of aspiring models.
0: They're uh, like, hey, we'll do a photo book for you, and we'll send it to. all Yeah, agencies. so you gotta you gotta
1: like build up your portfolio in order for companies to book you. And so what they do is they make you pay for photo shoots. And there's like companies that'll charge you like modeling classes, like how to get your picture taken and whatnot. And it's just there's just so many scams about it. I'm, I'm sure somebody's benefited from it sometime in the past, but I personally don't believe in it much. Um, for all so you things, got I- to
0: so you got to New York.
1: So I got to New York so fast after the Abercrombie shoot happened. Bruce Weber, the photographer, he's like a big black and white photographer. And he still shoots with film.
0: I've met him, dude. Have you? <laughs> yeah, I went out to. Uh, he's got a couple cabins in the Hamptons. Yes, he does. And uh, he's a
1: he's a goofy guy.
0: He's cool, man. I like him. Yeah, yeah. He's a wild one. So, so he, he thought that was weird. Uh, modeling, surely. Modeling with Abercrombie and Fitch mm-hmm. It was your first shoot That was probably kind of weird too, huh?
1: Oh yeah, it's super weird Especially, I'm, I'm pretty introverted So all of a sudden you're like in the spotlight And they're like, alright, go And you're like, what do you mean go? Just take my picture <laughs> So, but they, they, he was really good about, you know Giving you things to do And he just take pictures while you're doing it So like, here, pick up this football And play catch with this guy Or get in this canoe And paddle out into the, the bay with this girl and, and so and so And then he would just kind of follow you around the whole day and take pictures of you. Hmm.
0: So that was?
1: That that. was 2007. That was my first shoot, and then uh, he sent my pictures out to New York to an agency that was major models back then. It's still major models, but I'm not with them. And there's an agent there, Jason Kenner, who's uh, still my agent, but he started his own agency, Soul. Anyways, he, he called me and said, hey, I saw these photos. I'd love for you to come out. And uh, we'll we'll pay for everything. Just come out here and meet us. And, In so New York? About, yep. So he flew me out to New York and uh, uh, walked into the office, talked for 30 minutes or so. And then he basically said, let's go. And so he moved me into what's called like the model apartment, which is like a fraternity, I suppose, of other models that don't make enough money to live on their own, but they so they put you up until you can make enough to move out. And I was there for probably about six months before I got my first well-paying job. And then I flew out to I think I flew to Paris for uh, who'd I shoot Hugo Boss maybe. And then uh, it was, that was it. it. Took off from there.
0: So the uh, apartment in New York was it kind of like the Zoolander apartment?
1: <laughs> no, it was. <laughs> it was not. That. Model apartments aren't the best experience of your life. They're like, they're super dirty you've got different guys from all walks of life. Some that were like me, they were just athletes and ended up being there because of injuries or whatnot. And some of the guys were full, like actually aspiring to be a model. that's what they wanted to do with their life. So you've got all types of different people and you kind of have to get along and everyone's complaining about who ate their protein.
0: <laughs>
1: and, uh, yeah. You Does just everybody
0: have, have their own room or is it just one big open loft?
1: Well, we, we were, we were living in that. Uh, in a, where we were we were in a, a townhouse is where we were so we had let's see one, two, three it was a four bedroom and probably there was eight guys in there so it was about two guys per bedroom I think there was like a a large walk-in closet that I converted into my bedroom so I can kind of be by my, myself I just threw a little twin bed in there and that was like my first six months in New York we're like in this tiny little closet
0: what did you feel completely removed from the baseball life? I mean, was it exciting at all?
1: Uh, It was exciting. You know, I would never really traveled at all. And other than, you know, getting on the bus and driving to Arizona or California or Canada for different sports tournaments. But even when you're on a tournament, you don't really get to see much. You get up, you win or lose, and you go home. Uh, so this is my first time kind of like – getting to do the tourist things i I would walk around new york city all day and wait for appointments to pop up castings auditions and all that and then uh come back home so it was it was exciting i'd say for the first first year i was in new york city i absolutely just loved the whole experience
0: 18 in new york city were you making enough to live well
1: uh i'd say by the time i was 19 i was making enough to live well what does that mean mm got my own apartment was you uh, bought an apartment no no i was i was renting a it's probably like seven hundred and fifty square feet apartment on the fortieth floor uh in Long Island city overlooking the city it was a it was a i was probably spending way more than I should have but it was a blast i enjoyed it
0: How much can you make as a model
1: oh it varies you can make from Anywhere from a hundred bucks a shoot to a million dollars a shoot.
0: How much were you making? Well, it varies, I guess.
1: You you get your smaller $5,000 job and you get your bigger jobs that end up, you know, pulling you in almost six figures for the day. For a day? <laughs> yeah, but it's all said and done. So you got, there's just different levels of you got your, they pay you to show up to shoot and then they have to pay you to use the pictures. And then, how long are they going to pay you? So it's kind of like you know music, where you have your residual income, your mailbox money. Mm-hmm. And they just paid. They just paid all upfront.
0: Those were for the bigger ones, like Hugo Hugo Boss or something.
1: Hugo Boss, Armani, all those ones.
0: So at nineteen, how much were you making a year? Probably. Mm,
1: probably six figures. Right out. Uh, probably uh, the earliest year uh, It is probably, uh, probably a. It's probably a six-figure year. Right out the gate.
0: and barely six figure or max six figures.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say I probably made about a hair over six figures and but I remember I spent the first six months just kinda sitting on my rear and waiting for a call. So in the last half of the year I did pretty good.
0: Did you save all that money or did you spend it all?
1: Oh well, I spent every dollar that first year. I was <laughs> I was a wild child. <laughs>
0: But you were 19. I know. I, I guess if you're a model, they, they'll get you in anywhere you want to go, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're on every billboard, every bus stop, every taxi, every bus in, in the town, you know, you, you walk into a club and there's a line. You, you're too young to drink, and but you've got money and your face is everywhere, and you just walk up to the doorman and you say, look, that's me. And they're like, oh, okay, you're in. You skip a line, you walk in, and everyone's just kind of throwing stuff at you all night.
0: But would they recognize you if you didn't point yourself out on a taxi?
1: Not, not in the early years. In the early years, I was still a nobody. But I remember I was eighteen, nineteen, and a, just a fool of myself. But it was a, it was a good time, I suppose.
0: Did you get looking back now? Would you say you were caught up in yourself, cocky?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Really? Absolutely. Did you treat other people bad?
1: Um, Subjective, I suppose. (laughs) Fair. I I didn't think so, but the rear view is a little foggy, I suppose.
0: Yeah. How about that time of your life where you... Was religion anywhere in your view?
1: Heck no. I was all... Party party, work work party party i I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I moved out there, and once it touches the lips, it's so good, <laughs> and, did you go
0: to church once? Uh, no, when I was out there, yeah, no, hmm, did you meet people who were religious, mm. There's, there's models of, that like
1: there's there's a group of models called Models for Christ and they had like a Bible study and and uh, I knew a couple of them just friends acquaintances that were but it was all like guys that used to be big deals and now they were all washed up and so it, was, it seemed like they kind of they're just like last chance of desperation to to fit in society so I just kind of made fun of them and went on my way.
0: <laughs> Did they ever try to reach out to you? oh yeah they'd always invite me man
1: you gotta come to this meeting it's and i was like okay man whatever i'll see you there and i was like like terrible at saying no to things but i would just be like flaky and like not show up so i'd be like yeah see you there totally and then like never talk to him ever again
0: i mean where would you see them did they live in your apartment
1: no they were all you know still doing well enough to live on their own and i'd just see them around town and whatever castings or auditions and maybe at the agency or something and i'd see him and They'd be man, we missed you last week. And I'd say, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. This week, this week, for sure, same time. And then I wouldn't <laughs> show up again.
0: But you were traveling a lot too, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and, you know, it's, especially as the career got more busy and I started working more. Yeah, I was on a red-eye flight, you know, from country to country. You spend your daytimes working, your nighttimes flying somewhere else to work. Which gets pretty exhausting after a while because you know you're young and you feel like you should be living, but you're not. So here you are making all this money and you don't have any life, and it's kind of lonely because you're always by yourself. You show up to a studio, meet strangers, work with them for you know four or five, six hours, and then you get onto an airplane, fly somewhere else, you that no one speaks your language, and you. So yeah, you don't have a whole lot of time to make friends or anything. You just kind of.
0: Are you always your by yourself? Or are you traveling with friends? You no, know,
1: you travel by yourself from job to job. You know and they're not booking in groups of people; they're just booking you individually. So you show up to Spain, and then you show up to London, and then you go to Paris, then you go back to New York, and then you go maybe to Spain again, and then you go back to L.A. and And so you're never in the same place, and you, you're never with the same people. So it's hard to make friends until until you start showing up on the jobs more often, and then you recognize the photographer, or you know maybe you started working with a certain model that ended up getting a lot of work and getting the same jobs you got so you get to know them. And you don't spend a whole lot of time at home, so you don't get to, like, make friends. And when you are a friend, when you are home, you know, you're on every billboard and bus stop in town, so it's kind of you can't really, like, walk outside or people start stopping you, you know, asking questions, autographs, whatnot. So you end up, when you are home, you end up just locking yourself in your apartment and playing Xbox or something, or you go out to the clubs when it's dark and no one can recognize you.
0: I mean, did you? What kind of questions would people ask you? Oh, just all types of questions. What was the weirdest question you ever got? The
1: weirdest question I ever got.
0: Or Is there one that sticks out?
1: I'm a, one that used to piss me off a lot. I don't know why it did, but every, everyone would always ask if I was a virgin. Like, are you a virgin? Are you a virgin? Because I, I did. I did this interview one time. and It was like the weirdest questions on this interview, and it's kind of like this. I'd called into this thing, and they were like. You know, are you boxers or briefs? And I, I, I just was joking, and I was like, "Oh, commando for sure." I wear underwear. It's a daytime job. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Joker is an underwear model. Um, and uh, and then the question popped up like, "Are you a virgin?" And I was just joking. And I was like, "I was like, of course I'm a virgin." And then ended up like, I don't know why that stuck with like all my fans. Always so like, "So are you really a virgin? Are you really a virgin?"
0: So is it a popular interview?
1: Um. I don't know how popular it was. It was kind of, it was at the beginning of all this, like this web stuff, you know, with social networks and, and blogs and stuff. I don't remember what blog it was exactly, but one of these like blogs that follows male models. I'm sure you can picture the rest of what the blog looked like. And, uh, yeah. So it was like at the beginning of all the cyber stuff. So it kind of became like a, Everyone was following, you know, all of a sudden you could have, like, fans online. Your Facebook page had 500,000 likes on it, and all you did was get your picture taken for a career.
0: Oh, uh, that was 2007, so Facebook was around for about a year at that point?
1: Something like that.
0: Did you have a MySpace account?
1: I did have a MySpace account <laughs> before I had Facebook. I, because back then, you at this point, anyone could be on Facebook, but in the early days you you know you had to be in college and it only invited or something like that so mm-hmm. I was I was not in college so I didn't have a, a Facebook. I think my sister finally invited me because she was in college so she she got me onto Facebook early. Hmm.
0: So that was how long did you spend in New York?
1: <sighs> Until I was 21.
0: So was a short career, huh? 3 years. Yeah.
1: I probably got to the peak of everything and then uh kinda just decided I'm done with this, so I I did a job out in California and just uh had a blast out there and just was like, you know what, I I quit and I had I had just found Jesus at that point and uh kinda really felt called to kinda take a break from everything and just go out to LA and you know I was says separating your sins as far as the east from the west and just like, you know, when you're young and everything is face value just made so much sense to me so I was like I'm moving all the way across the country back to the west coast and I'm going to I'm going to be a normal person and and surf and hang out for a few years.
0: So we'll get to how you found Jesus in a second, but even before that did you did you start to get worn out being a model? Was there, like, this moral, like, drain on you?
1: It, 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 I don't know that I could describe it back then, but it just felt like, I, you know, I wasn't progressing towards anything. I'm not working hard at anything, and, and uh, it's not like I can get better at my job. I just, I just show up and, and take pictures of myself. As long as I was in shape, I was doing my job well, and so here you are getting paid, you know, because you won a genetic lottery, and and it just didn't make sense to me, and I didn't have any friends. I was lonely. I got really good at, you know, Call of Duty. That was the center of my social life was all my online friends that I would talk to while I was playing and shooting people up.
0: Was that a, a divine gift as well, your Call of Duty skills?
1: I don't know that my Call of Duty skills were a gift from God, but I think there was more just how many hours in the middle <laughs>
0: of that I put in. A lot it. of practice. <laughs> so you just got to the point where you're... It was more, maybe just a a thirst for change rather than something moral.
1: Um, well, I think up until I when I found the Lord, I was able to finally put a you know a word on what is what was going on. But up until that point, I was just you know it was lonely. Uh, You you kind of get bouts of depression a little bit because you're by yourself and life just doesn't make a whole lot of sense of like why am I doing this because it wasn't. Wasn't good to you know celebrate success with anybody. You're by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just it was lonely. Really?
0: Did you ask yourself those questions? What do What do I want to do with my life? Is this Is this going to be a meaningful life if I continue to stay a model? Um,
1: I don't know that I was mature enough to see kind of what that was. But I just knew that what I was doing was driving me crazy mm-hmm. and uh, making me a little bit sad. So I figured it was time to kind of open up my eyes to a little other options in life. And until...
0: so, so you went home, right?
1: Yeah. So start the story out a little bit. One of the guys I grew up playing football with, uh, ended up going to jail right before we graduated from high school. He, w- he was, a uh, got his license taken away for a minor possession of some substance and so they took his license away and made him go to this boot camp and his parents were going to sell his car and he had this like 70s nova and uh he said well before they sell it i'm going to sneak out and go for one more drive and the reason they pulled him over in the beginning was his taillight was out and he never fixed it so his taillight's still out and he he sees uh, the bright lights behind him and he takes off into this neighborhood thinking he's going to hide from the cops and He says he did pretty well. He he pulled in his neighborhood and and shut his his car off and kind of fit in for a little bit. And then uh, when he thought the coast was clear, he turned his car back on and took off and uh, ran a red light and T-boned a a gal, and she ended up passing away. Mm. So he got 10 years uh, mandatory with no chance of parole. And uh, that's kind of where my story starts, you know while I was in New York, I started thinking about him. And, and uh, I used to go home every year back to Oregon for uh, Turkey Bowl on Thanksgiving. We'd get together and play mud football. And, uh, you know, guys were talking about him. And, and then afterwards, uh, another friend of mine who was dead was a Young Life leader. Uh, they invited us back to their house after the game to, to watch some movies. So we went over there, hung out a little bit. And then a guy named Steve Petermeyer, who was uh, my buddy's dad, kind of, he said he felt called to kind of reach out to me and that I looked a little lost. And so we uh, got together for a couple of beers and just kind of talking about life a little bit and uh, just, yeah. So I started talking about, you know, I knew that he would, he would go in and visit Sam in prison. And so I started asking, you know, how's Sam doing? And he would tell me about it and he said, well, why don't we get you on the list and you can come hang out with him. Uh, and he said, Sam's really come a long ways, and be, it would be great for me to catch up with him. So I, I say, okay. And, and, it's, and it's, it's a process to get yourself on someone's visiting list, especially around the holiday season. And right now, it's Thanksgiving just ended. Christmas is coming up, so everybody's trying to get on the list. And, you know, it takes, you know, up to a month to get yourself on there before you can go visit somebody. Mm-hmm. And they're only allowed so many visitors, so he has to kick somebody off the visiting list in order for me to come in. And uh, I remember my 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 buddy Steve Pemeyer, the Young Life leader, says, uh, you know, we're both like, you know, it's probably not going to work out. And he, he he made this comment that he ended up saying a lot. And he was like, well, last time I checked, God's big enough to take care of it. And we just kind of laughed at him. And uh, sure enough, I was on the visiting list within like 24 hours. They, they called back and they were like, we, we want to do this for you. Here you go. So they put me on the list and I got to go see Sam before Christmas time. And it was rad just catching up with him and he ended up kind of sharing his testimony and through how, through Steve, you know, helping him with his depression of I I killed somebody and I'm in prison for 10 years with, you know, he felt awful and he he became suicidal and just kind of hearing his story and how he found God through that. Uh, uh, And he had asked me if I wanted to, you know, become pen pals and, and, in addition to that, talk on the phone once a week, so all three of us would schedule a call, um, and we would talk on the phone, just kind of talk life a little bit. And then it was right after Christmas, December 27th, I think. I uh, we had this tradition back home where all when I would fly home, we we'd, we'd uh, my friends and I would gather up. We'd tell everybody, "Hey, we're going tonight!" And we we'd grab on, put on our ski clothes and we'd grab our sleds and we'd sneak onto the, the ski runs up at Mount Hood. And we just we'd we'd hike up and we'd sled down and we'd hike up and sled down all night while everything was closed and there was not a whole lot of lights. And so I just randomly got the idea. I'm gonna call this old guy Steve Friedenmaier who's you know almost sixty. And I was like, hey man, we're going sledding. You want to come? And I think actually I reached out to him on Facebook. I think I saw that he was logged in on Facebook. And so I said, we're going sledding. He's like, when? I was like, no, right now. And he's like, perfect. I'll drive. <laughs> And I thought it was hilarious. There's a 60 year old man's about to come sledding with us in the middle of the night. He's gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> but he showed up, and it was a fantastic time. We had a blast, like always. And but afterwards, we kind of just sat around talking, and we went and grabbed a beer, and uh, just kept talking. And and it was started talking about how you know life. We can't do everything on our own. That in fact, we can't do anything. That we need God. And, and, uh, just through that conversation, I remember like, you know, my, my eyes started watering up and, and it was right then and there that I started my relationship with Christ and he prayed over me and we started it right there. Huh.
0: What made, what well, do you think you were just at the right time of your life or just the right moment?
1: Yeah, I think it was just, just through lots of conversations, things started making a little more sense and I had a lot of questions and skepticism and, you know, with, yeah, right. But, uh. I think uh, I don't think what what he was saying was really. I don't think it was really him talking. It really felt like it was God talking to me, and just everything that I was juggling with, you know. And he didn't know any of that. It just started pouring out of him. Like it was a it was a crazy experience. Everything just made so much sense right then and there.
0: Are you still in touch with him?
1: I am. Yeah. He uh, he became a big part of my life and. So after that conversation, you know, I, and I had a job in California, and that's when the California thing started, and I said, so I called my agent, and I was like, I'm staying here, and uh, I'm going to move to California, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to quit doing all this modeling stuff. And, you know, I was at the height of my career, so everyone's upset. I'm like, what do you mean? You got to shoot with Steven Mizell next week? And I was like, no, I'm just going to sit out here and take some time. <laughs> so, you know, I'm moving to a new city. I didn't know anybody.
0: That was in January? Yes, yeah, it's probably early January. Did you have much stuff to move from New York? I didn't
1: I didn't move any stuff actually. I had I basically just had like an open door free garage sale and just called my friends and said, Doorman's gonna open the door for me for you guys. If you guys want anything, you know, take it. And I had, you know, a seventy three inch T V and my couches and my bed and all that stuff and everyone just came and cleaned it out for me and, you know, whatever was left the landlord threw away and I my lease happened to be up right then and there, so it was perfect.
0: You didn't go get any of it.
1: I didn't get any of it. Why? I don't know. I just I was so over it. I didn't want any of it. I just felt like I needed to restart.
0: How about clothes? You had all your clothes with you.
1: Well, I had some clothes with me from traveling and going back home, and
0: a bunch of underwear. I had so much underwear. <laughs> All you needed really were surf shorts, right?
1: Exactly. I spent the next three years in surf shorts and and tank tops and, and a wetsuit.
0: You didn't do any modeling out in LA? I
1: did I did one there's one job one relationship that I kept with JC Penny. They shot in Dallas. And so like once a month I'd fly out to Dallas, uh, for like two hours and I'd go into their w- warehouse and just like you know, like the cheesy mail outs that they do. Um it was perfect. Most of it was unrecognizable. So they just take a picture of like me without my head and just crop down wearing a T-shirt or something. And it was just like, it was perfect because it paid plenty. Mm-hmm. And I just did that consistently. And then, uh, yeah, I just served, traveled up and down the coast, went to Hawaii. It was a, it was a fun time. For three years. Mm-hmm.
0: you lived off savings.
1: Savings in, in that J.C. Penny money. I actually, when I first moved out there, I was like so set on like being a normal person um, that I like was like I need to get like a normal like blue collar job and, and just be a normal person again. And so I I went and uh, I walked into Starbucks and I was like this is perfect and because uh, it was close to the beach, I can go surfing early early morning and then come back and and work my hours or vice versa. So I could work really early and then go surf and. And so I did that for a little bit, but I was like the worst employee of the world. And I was like, cause I didn't need the job. <laughs> so I was You'd like, I like, give my hours away. I'd always like show up. I was like, like heavily into like Jordans growing up to, near Nike. So I was like, always like wearing like these like fly Nikes. And, and they're always like, you can't wear those. yet have to wear black shoes. And I was like, Nike doesn't make an all black shoe. I can't. So I'm like, <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> you're, you're did, you, did you so, get like, good at making coffee? Mm-hmm. I did I could make, make the worst I can
1: make a mean coffee um well at least I could that was five six years ago now I suppose but um
0: so basically you quit working at Starbucks pretty soon I, after you started
1: no they fired me I never quit yeah gotcha. I, I didn't get a chance to quit you know I'd miss like, so I'd wake up in the morning and they'd say you got you know have to open at five so you gotta be there at 430 and uh you know, I get ready to go, and all of a sudden I get a call from my buddy, and it's like, dude, there's overhead surf out in Malibu right now. Let's go. And I was like, oh, jeez. And so I'd call him, be like, I can't make it. I'm sick. <laughs> and I'd drive up the coast and surf. And then I remember one time I had this, uh, like, uh, like Braun had did like a Kerry Degman razor, electric razor, called mm-hmm. a body, body cruiser. And uh, uh, so I called up Starbucks, and I was like, I got to go. Um, I've got this chute. I got to fly to Germany for it. No, I, where was I I flew to, uh, flew to, I flew to Austria. That's where I was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, I was like, oh, uh, I got to do this. I'll be right back. And so I took off and then, so I did, uh, it was a uh, contractually. So I had to show up and shoe but it was great money anyway. So it was, it worked out. And then afterwards, a friend of mine had her birthday up in, in, uh, Canada off Lake Shuswap up North. And so I was like, well, I'll just go do that afterwards. And then I spent another like two weeks up there and, I came back like two months later, and I was like, "So can I get some hours?" And they just looked at me like, "No, you don't work here anymore."
0: <laughs> did you talk to? Your manager?
1: Yeah, it, it was
0: funny. Were they Man. not? Were they not starstruck by you? Uh, like Gary Degman has his own razor with Braun.
1: No, I, they all knew like who I was, and, but we just—I never talked about it with them, and they never talked about it with me. And, yeah, well, we
0: know that's the only reason I got hired. You should have given, given him a razor.
1: Should have given him a razor. I should have thought about that.
0: <laughs> then you'd have got some hours.
1: It was all. It was all girls. It was like this, like body. How to like groom your chest hair, which is funny because I don't even grow chest hair.
0: Wait, the razor was for girls?
1: No, it was for dudes. It was called the body cruiser. So, like, how to like groom your body hair with this razor. It was like the, the success for hairy men, which is, which is why it's so funny because I'm not a hairy man at all. I don't like I have like one chest hair.
0: <laughs> wow. Is your picture on the razor? It's on the box. Oh. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool if it was on the razor. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so is that the only job you had while you were in L.A.? Your only attempt to be normal?
1: Yeah, Starbucks for, I think, I almost made it to the three months where, you know, you they start giving you discounts in stock in the company, but I, I didn't make it that far. Hmm.
0: Did you have health insurance?
1: I did have health insurance because, you know, you were, you were still on your parents' health insurance until you were... 26? 26, yeah. 25. 25.
0: Well, so you spent three years in L.A. Found a woman out there, huh?
1: I did it uh, after uh, after church one day. Some friends of mine said they were going to meet up with some other friends at a different church for breakfast, and uh, so I showed up. and In the back corner was this babe of a woman, and I just kind of walked in, and I was like this like weird time in my life where I was I wasn't going to talk to any female that I didn't think to myself when I saw her. I could marry that person so it was like the question I'd ask myself before I even like flirted with anybody was like could I marry this person I saw her and I was like I could definitely marry that person (laughs) and so I introduced myself we didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk but I knew we were mutual friends so I'm sure I would see her around it wasn't until a barbecue a few weeks later that uh, some friends of mine were hosting and she showed up and I was doing the I was manning the grill for everyone she walked over and started talking to me and then uh,
0: so she picked up on you
1: Mm, no she's a very social butterfly so I'm sure she had like the conversation didn't go anywhere it wasn't about anything she just like, likes to inquire about everyone's life so she same conversation she, I'm sure she had with everyone else mm-hmm. um, she was funny and, and so after I was done growing everyone's food I walked in and she was talking to a buddy of mine and I had walked over there and just sat on the couch to listening on to the conversation to see if I can't be part of it and uh, he was offering to give her surf lessons and this guy was funny because he was a He's one of the worst surfers I ever met, but he ran this this like surf lessons company where he he rent some longboards and, and take you out there and just kind of help you stand up in the white water, which anyone can do. And so it was a funny business model, but it worked for him. So he paid his his way through life. And when when she was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do it," and I was like, I kind of got worried. I was like, "Okay, well, you guys mind if I tag along in the morning?" And uh, so they did their like.
0: Did you have to pay for the school? <clears throat>
1: nobody this was a this was a freebie I think he was trying to pick up on her as well but I was like okay I'm gonna tag along make sure everyone's stayed safe. safe stayed safe and so we went out there and you know they they walked out there with their boards about knee deep and he said okay this is what we're gonna do I'm gonna you're gonna lay on the board and I'm gonna push you into this wave and you're gonna stand up and she did it and it was a time of her life Then it kind of got boring you could tell so I was like well let's let's step it up, why don't you grab one of my other boards and let's go out and paddle out past the breaker and I'll show you what it's like out there. <laughs> so she, she did it and, you know, she got her butt kicked and washed around these waves were much too aggressive for a beginner, but it was a fun, I kind of showed her how to get past the breaker and, and what it's like once you're out there and uh, she was, like, so stoked. So I said, well, I'll pick you up tomorrow and let's go again and she said, okay, and we went out there and, you know, after a week, I was like, all right, you want to come mountain biking with me? And I had a spare mountain bike, so we would go mountain biking and just adventure after adventure until finally I said well let's date I'll be my girlfriend she was like no I'm going to be single for six months and and I really feel like the Lord wants me to kind of take some time off from guys and I was like okay well Dagger. so I, so I just I, I'm sure most guys would be like okay well on to the next one but I just like knew like this is it so I just I like so persistent I like every day I'd be like okay we're dating now she's like no six months and I was like okay well we're gonna continue to go on dates until you're six months are up, and then we can call it official. And
0: is that cheating, though? I mean, y'all are basically dating. You're hanging out every day.
1: She made she made a point to make it group. Oh, really? Group hangouts or?
0: or <laughs> you hated she, she, that. She, didn't she you? was she was trying her best
1: to <laughs> stick it to the old man, but that I, I saw. And I was just persistent. I was like, you know, like gonna, Billy's gonna
0: come we're, with us. <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> gonna, like, so it doesn't matter what she yes. did.
1: Mean, I just knew we were gonna date. So I. Uh, you know, finally the six months were up, and I had set like the the uh, alarm in my phone to remind me when the six months were up, and uh, we were out at Chipotle, and my phone went off, and it was like six months or up, so I looked at it, and I was like, "Well, I guess that's it. We're dating now." And then she kind of looked at me and said, "Okay, fine, whatever." <laughs> and then uh, it's funny looking back. Like, she I'd ask her like, "What was going through your mind during those times?" Because I was like gung ho and sold on it, but and she was like, "Honestly, I thought you really." kind of just like this tool bag and it wouldn't leave me alone <laughs> and uh, I thought it was kind of funny but you know we we dated and then you know we broke up a few times we got it back together we, and then uh, about a year later I decided I was going to move to Nashville to do music
0: wait how long did y'all get married after That,
1: that we dated, started dating we, we dated for a year so we probably know each other for about a year and a half at this point point. Mm-hmm. and uh so I had moved back to Nashville. We were broken up at this point, but I we were broken up when I decided I was going to move to Nashville. But I knew that I wanted her to come, so I I uh, just called her up, and she was like pretty mad at me and devastated over our breakup. And uh, wait, I missed that. Where was the so, breakup? So we so right before I decided I was going to start doing this music thing as a an aspiring profession, I had we had broken up, and I had told her, you know whatever reason, whatever whatever reason it was we broke up and and she was all mad at me and wouldn't talk to me
0: you're like i'm gonna make it big as a musician and i can't have no. any distractions
1: no it i was it was like the the, the the decision to do music full-time happened like over a conversation with a guy who's now my manager and i had flown out to new york to hang out with some some old friends and, and it was in a, we were smoking a cigar and over that conversation he was kind of like, what are you doing with your life and i was like i just wake up and i serve and then i go to bed and i wake up and i serve
0: he didn't know who you were though right oh yeah he did he did
1: yeah back when i lived in new york i went to the same cigar bar every night that i was in town and he was and your manager he he is now but he wasn't back then he was just a friend he was in the music business and i knew that and he was working on some software and he just kind of fed up with it and so he he was he was like here what are you doing with your life and i was like man, I'm I not really doing anything. I'm just kind of doing some surfing. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, honestly, I want to do country music. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I was like, no. And someone else had said, yeah, have you listened to his YouTube video? And I had put like a YouTube video of me covering Zach Brown. So they, they played it in the room. And he's like, i tell you what, I'll I'll leave everything I'm doing right now. And, and let's you and I do this. I'll be your manager. Let's do country music. So I kind of laughed and I was like, sure, why not? And uh, it ended up being a life changing decision. That's, that's what I'm doing now, it's country music. But so I go back to LA and, and get ready for this move to, to Nashville, and I knew that I was missing something. So I called Rachel up and I said, I was like, come with me, come to Nashville, and let's get married. And she was like, Are you kidding me? We've been broken up for a month now. It could have been longer. And uh, she was dating a buddy of mine. And I was like, just forget him. Let's let's just go. Let's go to Nashville. Come with me. And, and uh, she, the adventurer she was, she said, okay. So we, I think it was like two months later, we were in Telluride, Colorado. Up there, with, her dad's a pastor, so he married us. And and uh, our friends from all over the country flew out there. A friend from from Tokyo that flew out. It was a blast. And then we finished the rest of our drive out to Nashville.
0: How many people were at the wedding?
1: Thirty. it
0: was a very small
1: wedding in a place that was required a 4x4 four four to get to you know it was up at almost the top of a 14,000 foot hill and uh, so whoever could get there got there everyone else just kind of was like there's no way I can get up there hmm. um, so yeah just our closest friends you know really we really loved we made sure they were there no matter what it was like I said, my buddy from Tokyo showed up, so it was definitely a Model. good time. No, no, he's just a buddy I grew up with. He he uh, He is. He was from Japan, but he came out to, to Oregon for his dad had a, an IT job. I think he's working for Intel or something like that. But he, so he went to school with us, and then afterwards he moved back to, to Tokyo. But he made sure to show up. Good guy, taco.
0: So how's the aspiring musician gig going?
1: Ah, uh, it's a blast! I've never had so much fun aspiring to be something. You know, you every day you, you you wake up and you're writing a song, or you're or you're trying to you know get better at guitar, or get better at your your live performance, and you know it's everything else that you're kind of aspiring to be. You're kind of stuck in a class learning how to do it. Where in this field, you kind of have to just go out there and do it, and every day get better and work with people who are better than you.
0: But it's do really you fun. work with people that are better than you every day? Oh yeah,
1: in this town in Nashville, everyone's better than me.
0: Well, yeah, but do you really? Do you would you say you work really hard? I mean, how much time do you spend practicing guitar?
1: Um, it's hard. You can't really answer that question as black and white as as you'd expect. Because I mean, everything as far as staying in shape as an artist is important. Everything as far as you know. Um, you stay in shape, your lungs are bigger, and if your lungs are bigger, you can sing better. And then you have your vocal exercises you could do, and then you have your guitar exercises. Then you have to write, and then when you're writing, you just need to look for inspiration. So you go fishing or hunting or camping or, or just kind of argue with your wife, and then all of a sudden you got a new song, and then you have to write it down in your notepad, and then go back later and co-write and say, okay, I got this idea for a song that came to me while my wife was throwing a wine glass at me.
0: <laughs> where, do you, where do you get the best inspiration? You're a cigar aficionado, right?
1: I love cigars, and I usually, I usually, I can't get the mood right to sit down and write a tune unless I have a cigar in my hand, or unless the person I'm working with is like, type A. Let's sit down and let's do this. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna write this song. Well, those are the songs that are never as good as the songs that you kind of like, come up with on a whim. And they're usually at the most inconvenient times. Like you're, I've got a child, so I'm like holding my baby, and and the wife's like baby's yelling, wife's trying to sleep because she hasn't gotten much sleep and I have to like try and write down this chicken scratch like I got this lyric, it's a great idea and this melody and then I've got it recorded in my phone but all you can really hear is the baby screaming. (laughs) So yeah, that's the answer to that question in a roundabout way. You're happy? Very happy.
0: So you want to be a, how long do you want to give this career path?
1: I don't I don't know like well obviously at some point if you don't make it you got to just learn to it's time to get a day job and support your family but at the same time you know I still get my mailbox money from old modeling jobs and um, I'll take a job every now and again to make sure everything's covered and uh, I don't know I haven't put a time on it yet I'm still in like the 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 gung ho I'm going to make it not making it's not an option stage
0: what uh what for you would be success success um
1: if I could figure out how to make a living doing music while still keeping my wife happy,
0: I think that's success <laughs> Fair. mm-hmm what would? I mean, would success equal a meaningful life?
1: No, I don't think so at all. I think right now I've got a meaningful life, and I'm far from the success that I've just described
0: to you. What what brings you meaning?
1: What brings me meaning? I think it, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working hard, which is important. I think as a guy, you know, you look at even Adam and Eve in the Bible. You know, God put Adam. In, and he gave him a purpose to ma- to tend the garden. So got it. He was had a purpose and I had to work hard. And so I feel like I'm working hard and, and I'm getting that, I am being filled in that way. And then, um, I've got a fantastic, beautiful wife and I've got a coolest baby in the world. It's two weeks old. And, um, I guess probably three weeks now by the time y'all hear this. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just happy right now. Like I'm fulfilled right now. I know that you know, I go to church and my church community is phenomenal and and kind of makes me a better person every day. I talk to them and my Bible study. They're rad dudes and you know they no one's afraid to call you out if you're slipping up or doing something wrong. And so I just feel like every day I'm just bettering myself with you know my purpose here on life and my walk with Jesus. Nice.
0: What's the name of your boy?
1: Wolfgang Jackson Digman.
0: Is he going to be a country singer, too?
1: No, no, no. He's going to be my bass player.
0: <laughs> I love it. I have a little family band, huh?
1: Exactly. I've already got my wife playing the egg shaker while I sing. Can she sing, can she sing, too? Yeah, she's a little singer on her. She didn't know it, but we pulled it out of her, and she's got a nice pretty falsetto that she sings harmonies over me sometimes when we're trying to write a song and I'm like babe I need you to try and do this and, and she doesn't have the confidence to really sit down and try and do it but I make her do it and drag her and i will like, just sing this part and I'll show her the part and then I'll sing on top of it and it's, it's always a good time until she gets frustrated because I'm coaching her too much or something and then she quits and walks away
0: so the guy who is your manager the guy that mm-hmm. left everything he's still your manager mm-hmm. he's
1: still my manager love that guy He's become one of my best friends, and you know, which is good because we spend a lot of time together.
0: Is he doing anything else?
1: Nope.
0: Does he get frustrated if you're if you don't make progress?
1: No, I think if you'd have heard me sing three years ago, you would have laughed at me when I told you I was going to become a country singer. And uh, so the, there's been no problem with progress. You know, I've been really. Putting my head down, really trying to make this happen. I knew that I had to do a lot of work, and so I, you know, I have my vocal instructors and my guitar instructors, and my co-writes. So my songwriting gets better, and I make sure that I write with someone who's, you know, more experienced or at least older in life, so they have different perspective on life. And so I think uh, there's been no no problem with progress so far.
0: So was it? I mean, is it? Did you have a good voice when you started? And you're just like, I want to be a country singer.
1: I just thought, to me, I had a a good friend, Elijah, who was in in a rock band in California. I remember watching him play and just thinking, man, that's so cool. That's what I want to do. And I had picked up a guitar when I was modeling and just kind of would teach myself late hours in the night in my hotel room, just kind of like learning to cover songs or whatever. and So I could pick through all my cowboy chords. And I just thought, you know, <clears throat> watching my buddy play I was like gosh that, that's what I want to do that's definitely it um so I definitely didn't do rock I did country music because that's what I listened to well actually I listened to uh both country music and I listened to metal and I knew that I, I can't scream for the life of me so I figured I'd just become a country singer instead
0: do you still listen to metal <laughs> I can't tell you know what metal
1: yeah I, I still do we anytime you're on a road trip you know you're, you're on these radio tours or or whatever you don't get a whole lot of chance to sleep and you know you you wake up and you have this you know 7 a.m performance on the radio and then you gotta drive across the country to a different radio station for a 7 a.m and uh like you spend so many hours driving through the night that like nothing keeps you up like a coffee and slayer
0: <laughs> so you're traveling a lot and singing yeah
1: yeah, through you know, yeah, my individual performances and and uh, I do a lot of work for uh, uh, a charity that I help start uh, to help prevent veteran suicides. So I do a lot of performances for them and all their you know they have these like trap shooting competitions or or you know these whatever these the event is I'll come up and sing and I wrote a song for them called "Pray for a Soldier in Pain" that's been getting a lot of traction and I you know I, all the all the proceeds from that song um, go straight back into the organizations. So uh, they always have me come out and sing that song for them.
0: And that's it. You just sing that and then you're back on the road.
1: Well, depending, depending on what they have, like um, if it's like a a music thing, um, usually they have a lot of artists there that, you know, are are doing their part to help. And so like when I played, I got to play for the um, McGraw foundation down at Franklin theater and, and, you know, it's a it's an auditorium full of celebrities, and you basically got up and you played your one song, and then you got off stage, and and that was it. And then Faith Hill would shake your hand and be like, "Thanks so much for coming out. It was a great job." And you're like, "Oh, Faith Hill, this is amazing." Uh, but some of the organizations, you know, it's just me, and uh, I get to play. You know, I just entertain the crowd for an hour or so.
0: Do you have your guitar next to?
1: You? Uh, it's in the next room.
0: Go get it, real quick. Okay. Sing a little jig. All right. Which one do you want to sing? What do you want me to sing? How about the Pray for a Soldier?
1: All right, let me tune out
0: real fast, make sure I'm good.
1: Song is called "Pray for Soldier in Pain."
2: Give up everything to fight for your freedom, not for recognition. He knows you. They got him there, was enough to get him home. But now that he's back, he's never felt so alone. One is one too many, but every day heroes take their own lives. Why doesn't anyone listen when a soldier cries? They're taking bullets for ya. They've been through hell for ya. They gave up everything and. Little help from you. You don't have to know their name to pray for a soldier in pain. To pray for a soldier in pain. No way to deal with the things he's done. Nobody's told him he's not the only one Four pounds of pressure beneath The trigger finger away
1: From clearing
2: his memory
1: And one is
2: one too many But everyday heroes take their own lives. Why doesn't anyone listen when a soldier cries? They're taking bullets for ya been through hell for you They gave up everything and need A little help from you You don't have to know their name To pray for a soldier They're taking bullets for you They've been through hell for you They gave up everything and need A little help from you You don't have to know their name To pray for a soldier in pain For a soldier in pain.
0: All right, man. <laughs> Thank you. Great stuff, dude. Appreciate that. Well, I think that's going to do it, Kerry.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Mm.